0: Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. We've got Brett Ballets here. Say hi, Brett. Hey. Uh, and before I ask Brett to tell us about himself and why I invited him on the pod, I'm first going to start by reading a review from one of you listeners out there. This is from Purple Face Awesomeness. I was very engaged in the conversation. It was well-spoken, informative, and to bring two different sides to have a conversation to express ideas is great. Hashtag gang gang. Thank you for making the pod. Keep it up. Well, thanks a lot, purple face awesomeness. I'm going to assume that's not your real name, but then again, you know, hippies exist, so it's entirely possible. Um, All right. So, Brett, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, Who are you and uh, why are you on the pod? Sure.
1: Um, I my name is Brett Bellitz. I'm 28 years old. Um, I'm not an expert in uh, foreign policy or politics by any means, but I've been uh, heavily invested in, you know, international relations and domestic politics since, uh, I guess, since the rise of Trump really is what was the catalyst for it. Um, But my sort of educational background is in literature and English. So it's been kind of a departure from my, you know, um, what I thought my career path might be, but I'm very happy to uh, be engaged in this subject.
0: Yeah, a lot of social scientists actually credit literature with the expansion of uh, empathy toward other people and human rights and so forth. So I would, I would say it's entirely relevant to politics. Everybody is an expert in politics is kind of the way I think about it. They're not all experts at like the game of politics. But when it comes to the with the kind of expertise it takes to talk about your opinion about politics, you know, faith in democracy is essentially the idea that all of our opinions matter. Um, and some of us are more informed and more reasonable than others. But the only way to fix that problem is through conversation. So shutting people out isn't, isn't the way forward. Although, you know, some conversations aren't productive and you, you can't talk to everybody. So you have to be selective. So I, I asked Brett to come on because um, I know from uh, interacting with him on Twitter that he is uh, a guy I could have a productive conversation with. We're going to talk about fascist creep. Can you uh, start by maybe defining that concept for us,
1: Brett? <laughs> so I'm i I do use that term occasionally, and I do think that that is an accurate description of of what I see happening. And that term was coined by uh, Alexander Reed Ross, who is an anti fascist activist who wrote a book. I think in 2017, it was published called "Against the Fascist Creep," and it was basically his thesis is how. Is about how fascism is essentially a convergence between the very far left and the very far right, and I think a lot of the time when people think of fascism or national socialism or you know, um, you know regimes like that, they associate that with just hard right-wing nationalism, bureaucratic. You know, mechanized, and there's not much left-wing influence in there. And you know, people like Jonah Goldberg who say, you know, the the left are the real fascists. I I laugh at those people. But there is a real uh, argument to be made that this sort of convergence between the two poles, once they reach their own sort of respective ends of the spectrum to the limit at that extremity, they sort of come together in a horseshoe or a circle. And then that rotates and it keeps going and going and it speeds up and everything gets sucked into this black hole is the way I kind of think about it
0: yeah um <laughs> I'm very sympathetic to the horseshoe theory. I think the way I think about political models is that they all they're all flawed um but they also all have purposes they you know um so i think left right for example is a very simplistic model in a lot of ways it oversimplifies the complexity of politics right um you know what what it just kind of turning everything into a binary or or maybe including a center. Um, but then that also has this tendency to kind of, then that's why this idea that centrists are just toast people who have no real values comes from too, It's yes. kind far of misunderstanding that. And then, you know, you've got the horseshoe, which of course, extremists don't like that model because it paints them in a bad light. But I do think there is something to that idea um and then you have the political axis which i think is interesting theoretically but (laughs) i part of the problem is there are a lot of ideas that you can describe in theory that don't work in practice like not only do they not work but they're literally impossible to even do (laughs) yeah (laughs) whether they work or not yes um and so you know the philosopher in me likes that um because i study the liberal arts too uh you know that's that you know where i'm coming from Mm -hmm. but the philosopher, me, likes the fact that you can you can place stuff onto an axis um, that's just theoretical. But you know, then the, the the limitation on that model is people get confused and and they start focusing on you know utopian ideas that are never going to happen. Um, and and so that's the downside of that model. Um, yeah I, yeah, I actually we we created one for our podcast that we a model that we called the real divide, which okay. is a circle. Um, And it's not a circle in the sense of just like the horseshoes, the ends of the horseshoe, like Mm -hmm. connecting at the bottom. Um, It's more like the top half of the circle is liberalism. The bottom half of the circle is all illiberal ideologies. And then we place um, progressive and conservative on the left and right um, top of the circle. The idea being that actual progress requires working with conservatives because you can't you can't, you know, bring about progress by throwing out the bathwater. You know, a lot of times people change things thinking it's going to lead to progress and it actually leads to regress. Right. Right. So you need like the conservative side to balance the progressive side in a liberal democracy. And so kind of everything that's constitutionally permitted under a liberal democracy fits within the top half of that circle. then the bottom half of the circle, you have radicals on the, on the left and uh, regressives on the right. Um, and Those are just examples of what happens when you give up on the liberal part of the equation. And as we know, democracies are not stable when you give up on liberalism. So that's where we're coming from with that model. I feel like that kind of ties into this fascist creep idea a bit.
1: Yeah. And just something else to say on that. I I think it it sounds like a kind of esoteric, like super theoretical conversation, but I do think that like – there is, we need to view left and right as platforms, not necessarily as, as symbols that contain a certain ideology, because, um, you know, I, I see things on the left that I also see from, say, Richard Spencer or Tulsi Gabbard, who is on the left. And there's this sort of mutual agreement on certain things that are not progressive whatsoever. But yeah, t- t-
0: Tucker Carlson seems to be arguing for what you might call like uh, socialism for white people.
1: Yeah, I would call <laughs> it national socialism. Something you might you might you might say that. But yeah, and 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 there's a lot of like, if you think about um, people like uh, Glenn Greenwald who go on uh, Tucker all the time now to talk about how Biden hates Iran and the Russia Russia Gate is a hoax. Uh, used to demonize, you know, uh, people who are afraid of the security state. There's this, I um, actually wrote an article about this phenomenon called the queer front, which is uh, sort of an offshoot of the fascist creep, where uh, this, it was coined by, I think, Jeremy Cliff, I think it was the journalist who I saw say it. And it's um, that the left and the right are basically agreed on these principles which are, let's say, anti-globalism. Uh, they say, which is like uh, communitarianism versus uh, sort of liberal internationalism. And then, yeah, there's... yeah,
0: it's like collectivism versus individualism, which is an aspect that the traditional left-right spectrum totally overlooks. Definitely, and and it's 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 not really synonymous with the so-called authoritarian libertarian axis either. I agree. But, yeah. So, so, but you know, the the problem that people like you and I run into. Is most political scientists disagree with us? Um, and i I actually ask myself, like, to what extent do they really disagree, or is the fact that they describe that they most political scientists tend to place the Nazis on the far right, for example, Is that really more of just a a symptom of the fact that that left right spectrum is a little bit oversimplified over- oversimplified? You know what I mean? Like yes. do they really disagree because like when you when you talk about it in practice, the the historical nature of it, the the National German National Socialist Workers' Party, like they they were demanding that you know you abolish private capital, basically. They were extremely right. hostile to capitalism. They were extremely hostile to banking in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Um and you know, the the left-right spectrum, I guess, like that that most political scientists are using is kind of going back to that French Revolution thing about being pro hierarchy or anti hierarchy. And so obviously, in that sense, you know, the the Nazis would be right wing. Um, but if you're coming at it from the perspective of, you know, a liberal who is pro capitalism and pro human rights, it's pretty easy to see how both Stalinism and Hitlerism are extremely hostile to capitalism and individual liberty, which are ideas that, you know, a lot of people consider to be in the the right wing tradition in the United States. And even in liberal democracies, In other places, like in Europe, you know they'll they'll outright tell you liberalism is right wing there. So help me help me figure this out. Like, are are we crazy, or is the system, or is is left right just too oversimplified, and that's the problem?
1: So I think if someone were to ask me, like, is was the Nazi regime right wing? I would say categorically yes. Uh, The thing that 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 worries me is when I see people who present themselves as left-wing. And when enough people are saying this in unison and saying, we represent the left, and they're parroting alt-right ideas about foreign policy, let's say, or even domestic policy these days, um, I do think that the, the spectrum uh, of a clear-cut left and right is kind of muddled. And I, I do think we see that they 're not really that opposed historically when we look at like Molotov Ribbentrop in nineteen forty one I think it was when you know Stalinists and the Nazis came together to destroy Poland to initiate the holocaust um, If you talk to anyone who self identifies as a communist on Twitter, I mean maybe i 'm being too overly broad brushing it here, but most communists i 've talked to when I used to consider myself a communist. Would say Molotov-Ribbentrop never happened. It was like a it's propaganda. Fake it's, fake it's fake news, <laughs> and you know that was one of the signs where I was like, "All right, what's going on here?" I've um, seen.
0: I've I've literally seen Stalin did nothing wrong, uh,
1: <laughs> but you yeah. know to, to to right. But I mean, again,
0: that's that's like an alt-right Nazi saying the Holocaust didn't happen, mm-hmm. right? Or, 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 or even worse, like, uh, yeah, yes, it happened, but we should do it again, which exactly. I see. Right. And, and there are people who say that about Stalinism. They'll say like, oh yeah, he totally did the gulags and I just can't wait to throw you in one. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So I guess part of the issue for me is I tend to think of the left, right spectrum along economic lines because I'm a, an economic conservative and a foreign policy conservative. hmm. I'm a, maybe a little socially conservative by the modern standards because I think some of the identity politics stuff is going way too far, especially mm. when it takes that weird postmodern bend. Yeah, um, I want to talk about that. Right, great, let's do it. Absolutely, but you know, um, that's the reason I see the spectrum that way, right? But if I if I'm a Trump voter who. Who, who, if it weren't for the fact that I'm racist and sexist and homophobic, I probably would be voting for a socialist. I think mm-hmm. that's true about a lot of Trump voters. So yes. does it really make sense to call a movement made up of working class labor reactionaries who oppose free trade capitalism right wing? I mean, maybe. Not <laughs> Not the way I think about it.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely some blurring that kind of muddies the waters in terms of using this model as as a, a definitive you know format
0: yeah and and it's true i mean not, nazism was it did it, but they didn't describe themselves as right wing or left wing they rejected the left right idea right mm-hmm. um so there is something to be said about like going to the horse's mouth about what they actually believed in right they mm-hmm. rejected the left right idea and they 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 seemed to uh yeah they were opposed to communism but they were also opposed to capitalism um yep. and and so you know like I mean, Stalinism and Leninism fought each other too. Does that, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. What does that mean exactly? It means they disagreed about some things and agreed about other things. Right. Definitely. All right. So Brett, um, you off the air, you told me that you started going getting into thinking about this idea of fascist creep, um, and changing your political views as a consequence of what's been going on in Syria. Do you want to maybe talk about that a bit?
1: Sure. So, in 2016, um, I voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary. I definitely considered myself a socialist. One of my, you know, uh, biggest influences by far is Christopher Hitchens, and he really shaped my politics as I was a teenager. Um, and uh, so- Hitchens
0: the. Uh, um- british american journalist uh contrarian guy right yes exactly he who, 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 who was the leftist who famously defended the iraq war yes for yeah exactly. yeah interesting character he also he also said he was he was a marxist in his youth and later on in life he said uh communism communism is itself a form of fascism fascism with a human face exactly well, That sounds like he was on what we're talking about here maybe
1: yes and i think part of that part he owes a debt to George Orwell for that insight, I think. He was a huge George Orwell fan. He read everything Orwell ever ever wrote, and Orwell talked about that constantly. He was one of the only voices at the time who was like, of course, Nazism's bad, but this idea that you're going to establish some utopia in the Ural Mountains uh, with the Soviet regime is bullshit. So I think that was really drilled into him. But basically... I was socialist. I was very involved in left-wing Twitter. And I started seeing all these heinous posts about Syria, denying war crimes, saying that children were CIA agents, um, retweeting some alt-right accounts. And it really turned me off of the left. And I joined a group with a bunch of Syrians and a bunch of analysts who study the region. And I started learning about where all this conspiracism comes from and who's pushing it. And that just, uh, you know, that ended my relationship with the left. I consider myself a sort of boilerplate liberal now. I'm definitely a little more conservative than I was before socially, but I'm pretty much in the middle.
0: Yeah. um, And Orwell, I mean, he was he was criticizing authoritarian communism from the left. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. So. All right. Okay. Yeah, I've I've had like an anarcho-communist is one of the recurring guest stars of this podcast. And Mm -hmm. it's always interesting talking to him about that because he 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 definitely thinks that we need to bring about communism in a a non-statist manner. But I'm always wondering what that means in practice. And for for me, you know, like, okay, yeah, we can talk about, for example, I have no problem with people setting up co-ops, right? Like you create a co-op and voluntarily, you know. Share the the spoils of your business. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. It's like using the gun to force the entire world to be co ops. That's what the right. problem is, yes. right? And then mowing them down with machine guns when they try to run away, inevitably. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, you know, like to, so. To be fair, there are people like my friend Chet out there who call themselves communists who don't want what we're calling communism. I'm just not persuaded that it has any real bearing in politics because anybody who is. Politically a communist, meaning they're voting in policies to bring about communism. By definition, that's statist, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And, you know, lots of communists will uh, bash against the uh, the plague of incrementalism and how voting doesn't matter. And we need uh, mutual aid and, you know, solidarity among the workers. And that sounds nice, but uh, it doesn't really do anything for me.
0: Okay, all right, um, yeah, I mean, it's not even that I'm not sympathetic to some concerns on the left, but yeah, oh, I, 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 I definitely I, am too. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about the foreign policy thing, and then you said you wanted to talk about social issues, so I just want to make sure we, we we keep these things on our radar. Uh, let's sure. do foreign policy a little more. Um, like you okay, so you brought up Syria. Um, what tell assume that our listeners know nothing about what's going on in syria can you give them a quick rundown of of what's the history and and what's happening currently there
1: yeah so basically uh syria has been under a dictatorship uh for decades now hafez al-assad was the uh you know the head of the regime before his son took over and in 2011 um there was a peaceful protest, a peaceful you know uh, movement against the regime to um, call for the downfall of the regime because it was so autocratic people couldn't speak their minds and it wasn't a free country whatsoever and in response to those democratic protests which were peaceful uh, it started in Dara, which is known as the cradle of the revolution in some circles and um, The regime shot these people with machine guns and tanks. They kidnapped children and ripped out their fingernails and put their dead bodies on the doorsteps of their families. It's since then, you know, it's been 10 years. There are over 500,000 dead Syrians probably over a million, because the estimates haven't really been accounted for yet, and over 11 million displaced internally. Uh, I think I have that number correct. So it really is a holocaust happening right now in Syria. There's a crematorium. um, Hafez Assad harbored um, Adolf Eichmann's right-hand man, Alois Brunner who um, apparently taught Hafez Assad security services the techniques of torture that were used by the Nazis. There's a huge history that links sort of anti-Jewish suffering with the, you know, devastation that Syrians are undergoing now. And that's really what uh, drew me to it at first, because I'd started learning about the Holocaust and about my own history and how all of these people just didn't seem to care what was happening to these millions of innocent uh, civilians.
0: Right, and as with I, I'd like to segue maybe into into the recent Israel Palestine um, issue because I sure. think there's a parallel there in terms of the left, far left and alt right kind of siding with each other in a weird way. Um, yes, right. But you know, okay. So why do you think it is? Maybe this is a good way of tying up Syria and then segueing into that. Why do you think it is that you see lefty Twitter people with. Um, hammer and sickle in their profile bio um defending hamas which is you know like a, a theocratic um you know super homophobic super sexist um just brutal anti-democratic terrorist organization right um, now that's not to say that the people of Palestine all support Hamas, of course, but apparently lefty Twitter does. so why why do they do that? But then they completely ignore this much greater um, you know, again, not not that I'm totally taking Israel's side either. But just generally speaking, like it seems to me like what Assad did in Syria is a lot worse than Israel just defending itself from some terrorists, right. right. so why 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 are they ignoring what's happening in syria or or to the extent that they talk about it? They they almost seem to be siding with Assad. Can you yes. give me a window into that? Because you said you were on the left yourself when you started looking into this and, and the, seeing the way your fellow leftists were reacting to it is part of what made you realize like, OK, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not moving all the way over the right. But I think liberalism is the way rather than than leftism. So Definitely. T- what Talk me through that, because or or actually not just me, the listener, you know, tell tell listeners what it's like to be in those circles.
1: Sure. So I think I don't know the definitive answer of of why they're all doing this, but I have three ideas in mind that I think do bolster this response. Uh, First, I think. It's, I think anti-Semitism is undoubtedly a motivating factor for many of these people. Um, I, I think there are a lot of ideas about finance capital, about capitalism, and about internationalism that uh, a lot of left-wingers historically associate with the Jews. And I didn't really know much about this until I started reading uh, recently some, some articles. But it it really does <laughs> come to bear in these conversations, I think, um, another another thing is a sort of reflexive anti-Americanism. Um, a lot of leftists believe that they're sort of living in the belly of the beast of imperialist America. Uh, that America um, is still sponsoring coups in countries, um, uh, you know, internationally for uh, the sake of oil or, or, or you know, rapacious profiteering. And a lot of that ties back to this idea that the Jews or the globalists or the Zog, the Zionist-occupied government, are running our wars. Uh, That's another part of it that also ties into anti-Semitism. I think a lot of it came out of the Iraq War because it was such a blunder and You know, it was such a horror and a traumatic event to a lot of people in the United States. They thought, you know what? Intervention equals bad. And this has led to an isolationism that has turned very reactionary in the sort of vein of Charles Lindbergh, is how I think about it. Um, and then third, there's all the propaganda. There are state-run media agencies um, who are explicitly state-run who push propaganda about the Syrian war. There are what are called gray outlets, which are sort of uh, in between. You don't know exactly who runs it, but you know there's disinformation information there, like the gray zone. They lie about the weaker genocide. They lie about chemical weapons attacks in Syria. Um, and then there are just pretty much a handful of incestuous commentators who are tokenized by the so-called anti-imperialist left to spread slander about the conflict. So it's those three factors together that sort of play off each other and build this momentum. And then there's this sort of in-group cohesion, where if you disagree that liberalism is the problem, you're the enemy. And so it shuts everyone else out. I hope yeah, that I, makes
0: I yeah, I, I saw somebody on Twitter recently tweeted out. It was something like, um, uh, "So far, the the left's um, dis, di, uh, takedown of liberalism has only benefited the right," which I thought was an mm-hmm. interesting comment. Um, yes, uh, I. I what, what do you What do you think? Do you um, think that's true?
1: Just, yeah, just to go off that point. So I wrote an article, um, and if I switch tabs, will it cut my audio? I don't think so. No, okay. So I wrote an article in, I think, 2018 about um, – let's see. I'm sorry. I just lost my train of thought now. What did you just ask me? Um,
0: oh, about um, – so the leftist takedown of liberalism oh, yes, is actually benefiting yes.
1: the right. I'm sorry. So there, um, in 2018, Steve Bannon, I'm sure you're familiar with, said to Fareed Zakaria, Zakaria on CNN, he said this. I think we can carve off, and I've said this, 25% to a third of Bernie Sanders' populist movement, the economic nationalists. And according to CNN's 2016 exit polls, 23% of self-identified progressives voted for Trump nationwide out of spite, despite historic platform concessions.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's actually... The reason he won. I mean, he won yes. because I mean, despite the fact that actual right wing, like actual um, economically conservative and foreign policy conservative people, all became never Trump conservatives, um, and you know, it used to be that college educated white voters were reliably Republican, um, and now they're not anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Trump lost the suburbs <laughs> right like you can't you it's very very hard to win um as a Republican with just rural voters right you got to get those suburbs right um, he lost the suburbs and but he you know he also managed to pick up enough of those you know progressive Bernie Sanders. Um, national economic populists, which you might again, you might call national socialism. Yeah, that's kind of what that means. Mm-hmm. um and, and that, that's that's how he won, right? So yeah, no I think I think you're right. I think i I was always interested in politics, but the reason that I got so uh vehemently behind yang and and to the point where I even volunteered and did this podcast is because I saw this this problem of this weird left right fascist alliance. Um, And it was terrifying.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is terrifying.
0: I mean, Steve Bannon apparently also calls himself a Leninist. You know, he, he's the yep. brains behind the alt-right. And <laughs> this guy, this guy, it, you know, ec- economic populism and yep. Leninism. Ask yourself, like, I mean, I don't know. It certainly sounds at least partially lefty to me
1: exactly. and And just to demonstrate that point a little further, I don't know, i don't I don't want to necessarily bash on people, but, you know, some people deserve it. Like, um there's a left wing podcaster named Kyle uh, Kulensky. And when YouTube took down some Syrian regime channels, he posted a video saying how much of an outrage this was because, The uh, the U.S. is taking down, you know, independent voices from the region or something like that. And in the same interview, he lamented that Steve Bannon was leaving the White House because, in his words, Steve Bannon was a paleocon in the mold of Pat Buchanan. And it's a shame that we lost his influence in the White House because now it means we'll be more interventionist in Syria. And that statement from someone who is ostensibly on the left is jarring. But if you look into the history of left-wing foreign policy, I've learned that it's not something new to this movement. It's just a reflexive intolerance of internationalism.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a it's an intolerance of internationalism. It's a it's a it's a kind of um, it's just a collectivist hostility to the liberal value of centering individual liberty is the way I look at it. Both, Because that's that's where it comes into play in on domestic issues, too. And it's important to point out liberals. Um, are not opposed to collectivism. It's just that they believe that collective action should happen through liberal democracy, right? Yes, so exactly. So it's supposed to be a group of individuals voluntarily working together to achieve a common goal. It's not supposed to be subsuming the individual and erasing the individual into a collective identity. Definitely.
1: And on that on that point, uh, uh, let me know if if you'd rather talk about something else here, if I'm going on a tangent. But... Related to the Israel-Palestine conflict, um, you know, there's been a huge increase in anti-Semitism the past 11 days or so. I think I read a report that said it was a 600 percent increase in violent anti-Semitic attacks, and uh, I'm not sure if it's the United States. It might have been the UK and the United States combined, but it's a worrying trend. And I do think that part of this, uh, like you were saying about sort of collectivizing uh, people, is this idea that all Jews are white and that if we're fighting the white power structure, then we're the liberatory heroes. But that totally ignores the history of Judaism and whiteness and how there's not a single white supremacist organization in the United States, I don't think, that has warm feelings toward Jews. So I do think the part of this has to do with the support for Hamas, where they're fighting what they believe as a colonial occupier, um, which which is true, there is colonialism, but both people are indigenous to the land, and it, and 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 there are things that come up like South Africa apartheid comparisons and things like that, and that turns to this very dangerous conspiracy theory which paints all jews as kind of these white super jews who you know they have space lasers they train israeli cops train u.s cops to be more brutal toward black people or at the very far end of the spectrum george floyd's murder was a massad operation that was meant to incite chaos internationally Th- this is the kind of thinking that scares the shit out of me and i have not seen it mitigating in the past few days and i yeah. i do think that's part of why
0: yeah and 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 it's uh it's a problem that is a, that's coming from the grassroots it's a it's a problem with a the mob mentality of people with low values. It's not coming from elites from on the top, right? Exactly. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, according to the the populist mythology, elites are all evil and regular people are all blameless victims who have no responsibility in history or in politics whatsoever, including voting for those very elites, apparently. But there, you know, there's no logic to it. So what can you expect? But yeah, I, okay, my gosh, there's so much to go on there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let, that, Let's talk about the Jews or white thing because sure. we wanted to talk about postmodern social issues and i think that that's a nice tie in there um what do you mean by that because you you also you also mentioned that there's this association of jews with capitalism so when i when i hear that i think of like you know um again to return to the nazis you know like one of the the, they hated jews in part because of religion um Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Hitler did explicitly use uh, Christianity and his rhetoric to demonize Jews, Mm -hmm. Um, but also because they associated them with being so successful. They're they're the puppet masters. They they control the banks. Exactly. Um, They have the money. Right. Um, And again, that's also kind of lefty. Right. That's the that's the aspect of Nazism Mm -hmm. that is shared with communists is this like hatred of capitalists and. And you know there is something there is something a little bit to it. I mean, as an ethnic group, Jews outperform. They're a very high-performing ethnic group. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they're very successful on average in comparison to other other groups, including including you know white people more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like that's despite the fact that they've had all kinds of disadvantages. It's not because they're you know the the secret masters of the universe
1: for fuck's sake. <laughs>
0: exactly. Um, so, and so, so there's, so there's a the capitalism thing, and then the white thing, right? So because if you're, if you're, if you buy into this postmodern idea of critical social justice, then you see everything as, uh, it's like a. It's a, a struggle between oppressor and oppressed. And it's that's the only way to look at an issue. There's no other possible explanation to any injustice in the world. It's always oppressor and oppressed. Exactly. It's not more complicated than that. White people are always the oppressor, always, always, always the oppressor. All white people are through and through evil, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, And that includes Jews, apparently, um, mm-hmm. which which also isn't even true, right? Like, not all no. Jews are white. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, so it's like it's not uh, a race; it's an ethnicity. It's a totally different ball game, right? It's like yeah. it's like Latino or something. Exactly.
1: So yeah, I, I think there's like I wrote an article um, on Substack called "Who's Afraid of Bomber Harris?" because I saw in 2018. Uh, around the time of the George Floyd protests, um, some socialist activists tried to take down a statue of Bomber Harris in London. And I'm not sure if you know Bomber Harris is, but he's the guy who bombed Dresden and basically brought an end to the Nazi regime. So in my mind, he is an anti-colonialist hero who, like, saved Europe, pretty much. But these people listed him with slave traders and imperialists and wanted to take it down so i saw that story and i started thinking about it and i was like how is this guy demonized as a slave trader and then i realized how little influence there is on the left of like jewish voices talking about anti-semitism and like uh, you know, having that lack of focus in the conversation really leaves some blind spots open. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think a big part of this is because, uh, apparently 74% of Jews are Ashkenazi, which means they're white passing, I would say most of the time. Um, but then there are 17% of Jews, according to a Pew poll that came out recently that are non-white and consider themselves non-white. So, um, the, 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 the big problem for me is the mapping of U.S. racial relations onto Israel, because it doesn't work. It's just that's not what's happening there. It's not a colonial occupying force from abroad, you know, um, you know, hurting black and brown people. There are many like black and brown Jews who live in Israel. And I don't know. I, I just think that whole conception is extremely dangerous and we're, we're seeing it just keep moving.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right. There is a kind of reflexive anti Americanism because that is kind of, I mean, how else do you explain the fact that, um, you know, Twitter lefties and alt righties are more concerned about Israel defending itself against Hamas than they are about the, the brutal Holocaust of over a million people in Syria, right? I mean, it's like, there's <laughs> just exactly. no other explanation and that, other than the fact that the US is allies with Israel and not Syria. That's yes. it. It's, yes. that, that, it's that simple, isn't it? It's just. Exactly. They just are so convinced that the evil, that the United States is the great Satan, right?
1: And I would argue, I mean, not to play into the great Satan idea, but I would argue that the United States is on the side of regime preservation for Syria and have been since Obama. But that's a whole different argument. But what I'm sort of... Well, I want to sort of tie all this together because I think the sort of red rose radical left who I saw pop up in the Syria conversations are the ones dominating the conversation on Israel Palestine now. And as you said, it's not mostly the elites um, that are voicing uh, the, these, you know, comments. It's it's the populace. But the populace are starting to gain some influence among. The Democratic Party, and especially among the Squad like AOC and uh, Ilhan and they've Omar. pretty much taken
0: over the Republican Party completely at this point. Yeah, I mean they're pushing out any 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 Republican, even Liz Cheney, right? <laughs> and and Mitt Romney, they're very you know like I exactly. mean the, the, people at the absolute top of the Republican hierarchy are just they're they're being dragged down and beat bloody by a, an angry populist mob. And 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 the people want this to happen to the republic or to the Democratic Party too. Jesus, right?
1: It's ridiculous. Um, but I think what has helped me the most in understanding this new wave of anti-Semitism, or maybe not new, but resurgent wave in the United States, is watching the Labour Party in England. If you watch anything that Corbyn had done. Or the way his supporters responded to his egregious anti-Semitism, it's the exact same responses that you hear now in the United States. Yeah, no, States. Corbyn was
0: literally spreading those conspiracy theories about Jews, like being the the super capitalist
1: power. Yep, yeah. yep, and about them running the slave trade, and about how the, Israel maybe did nine eleven. He's just and that's monster. probably why
0: Boris Johnson is in power. I mean, you know, like exactly. He, good lord yes so i I agree with you obviously i think the answer is liberalism not not leftism um agreed yeah uh so you know i I just i have to say this because we're talking about (laughs) pro-hitler commies um (laughs) i i I saw several people on twitter reacting to the israel-palestine situation by um people with um you know hammer and sickle in their bio tweeting out things like hitler was right one 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 tweeted out uh, uh, a quote from Hitler, which I don't even know if it's a real quote or not. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. But supposedly Hitler said something like um, I would have killed all the Jews, but I left some so that the world that. Would, yeah. So that the world would know why I did it. And that was in the context of Israel, you know, Palestinian <laughs> conflict. Right. And so like, yeah. they, they this is this is commies left Twitter people in the U.S. or or Europe. Right. Um Saying basically, you know, commies for Hitler. It's like it's like uh, it's like uh, Jews for Jesus or something.
1: Yep, it's ridiculous. But historically, there is precedent for it. You know, like the the Nazis and the Stalinists did come together in pursuit of anti-Semitism, basically, and. So something I learned about the Holocaust, I took a course... And,
0: and, and Jesus was a Jew.
1: <laughs> Jesus was a Jew and a carpenter. Yeah. yeah. And he. Uh, so I took a course on the Holocaust and I, I read a book by Timothy Snyder called Bloodlands. And one of his sort of groundbreaking arguments he makes is about how the Holocaust was possible because of this phenomenon that he called double occupation. And so what happened first was... Um, on the Eastern front, uh, the Soviets would come and invade a territory and uh, kill all the elites and destroy the towns. And then they would leave. And then the Nazis would come. And all the people who worked with the Soviets in those local communities, once the Nazis arrived, they switched their perspective on what had happened. And they said, yeah, they said you know what we agree with the nazis the reason our country was destroyed by the soviets was because of the jews and so this nazi propaganda about soviet uh you know influence being jewish it's the myth of judeo-bolshevism had come to infect the minds of these people in these local populations so when the nazis came they joined them and helped kill jews just because the soviets had come first and it was easier to pin responsibility uh, for their own work with the soviets on the jews themselves so there is this sort of yeah. um, symbiosis that is I, I think has a history to it
0: yeah it's um, sorry it's, if i'm rambling no no not at all I, I that was not rambling at all that was fascinating um yeah no, i i i think part of it is utopia right this if you if you believe in a utopian a dogmatic ideology of any kind, whether it's, you know, that you're going to bring about the great German race or, you know, like in some kind of Wagnerian way or, mm-hmm. or, or that you're, you know, going to bring about the worker's paradise. Um, if you really believe that the ends are so grand, right. Then you can justify any means to achieve those ends, any means, exactly. right. Including genocide and in, including, you know, killing millions of people as happened with both communism and fascism Mm -hmm. um so there's this utopian um thread that they have in common as well and and of course you know one of the 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 core principles of liberalism is that utopia isn't possible um yes you know the world will never be perfect but that doesn't mean we shouldn't improve it um, that people don't all agree with each other, right? Which is how li- how liberalism differs from populism, because populism is this idea that, quote, the people all supposedly want the same thing, but the only reason they don't have it is because the evil elites won't let them. <laughs> but, you know, no, it's because the people don't agree about stuff. And that's exactly. why we have democracy, for goodness sake, right? And so the idea is, you know, you you work together, you find common ground, you, you, you solve problems, and then maybe the way that you go about solving that problem causes an unforeseen other problem. And then you solve another problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah just, I don't know. I mean, like, well, and and to talk about because I, I I guess I should say something. Critical social justice, right? Which we talked about is this like oppression Olympics thing. But there is another kind of social justice, which is what used to be called social justice, and that's liberalism. Liberal right. social justice is like MLK's vision of treat people equally regardless of their skin color, by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the liberal approach. Whereas the critical social justice approach is, is is about, no, oh, no, absolutely. You must divide people up by their skin color and the government should actively create policies that are racist.
1: Right. Yeah, I think there's there's sort of a, a fine line to toe where it's like, on the one hand, you have to acknowledge the history of racism in this country and... um in the places where that legacy is still preserved and sustained, you know, reforms need to be made to ameliorate that. And anyone who... I
0: think that would fit under the liberal social justice approach, right?
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and then there's the sort of critical theory sort of approach that uh, sort of essentializes everything. And I, I didn't really think there was a problem with that, because, you know, people – a lot of white people would say things like, oh, like I feel like I can't speak as a white person or whatever. Like I I, I never felt that. Like whatever. Like I can say what I want. Like if someone thinks – that you know i'm being racist for what i say just because i'm white like whatever that's stupid but now that this sort of anti-semitism has come into the fold it's really opened my eyes to like oh fuck like now we're getting thrown under the bus and we have like no power right now yeah it's like that
0: you know first first they came for the jews right and totally yeah that's exactly what's happening um and it is because it's an incredibly toxic way of thinking Though I've thought about this a lot. And I, I think it actually comes down to um, the alt-right and the far-left, by the way, are both obsessed with identity politics. Mm-hmm. The alt-right is obsessed with white male straight identity politics, right. in a, in a really, really screwed up way. And the far left is, you know, obsessed with uh, the identity politics on the other side. Um, but they have that in common. And something else they have in common is this zero sum view of human relations. There's always a winner and always a loser. That's why yes. there's always an oppressor and an oppressed. Whereas liberalism actually believes in the mutually beneficial of ex- exchange of ideas, right? So that the point is, you know, you're not appropriating someone else's culture. You're you're in a melting pot right, <laughs> right? Totally. um and capitalism isn't you know the evil capitalist oppressing the worker it's people in 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 entering into voluntary economic arrangements for the mutual benefit of all parties involved exactly but the um populist uh id paul csj far left and all right have completely given up on on liberalism as a as an idea and and the way we're using the word liberalism is so broad that it includes the entire Overton window of every liberal democracy, right? It just <laughs> exactly it's just, as long as you continue, like you can, you can, you could have as robust a welfare state as you want, or you could do a totally libertarian country and they both fit under liberalism. It's it, it only, it only departs from liberalism when you give up on these basic principles like, you know, the rule of law, the separation of powers, um, the social uh, the,
1: contract.
0: Exactly. The the constitutional protections of individuals against majoritarian rules so that the majority can't just put all the Jews in an oven just because they want to. Right. Totally. It's only when you give up on that stuff that you've moved into illiberalism. And so you should see how incredibly dangerous that is. It is an absolute nightmare. And and people and these people think that they're morally righteous for doing it.
1: Mm -hmm. It's it's it really is an echo chamber, I think. Yeah, you know? there,
0: there, um, there are a few. Uh, I guess you could call elites in a few ways that are kind of responsible for this. You pointed out Glenn Greenwald, that man. Mm-hmm. Um, another person who. It, it, it kind of hurts me because I actually like some of Chomsky's work on linguistics. I just wish that he would stick to linguistics.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> but, you know all like, of us. <laughs> yeah, but,
0: you know, you were talking about this problem of them believing state propaganda, right? Yeah. So again, this is something that, you know, the communists and the fascists both love Russia today for some reason, even though it's yes. literally Russian state propaganda, right? But yep. you know, you, you point out to people that okay, sure, but our free press is not propaganda in the way they say. Exactly. And they, then they, all they do is they just post a link to Chomsky's manufacturing consent, <laughs> which I've read, you know, and he makes some valid points in it. But these people take it to an even greater ex- extreme than Chomsky did, and they, they literally think that having a free press is somehow worse than state-controlled media. That yes. Is, that is, that, that's how backward their worldview is. They, they, they've changed the word propaganda to mean it's opposite.
1: Yes. That is totally true, and, and it is it is it is partially because of people like Chomsky, you know? like absolutely. and and, and partially because of manufacturing consent itself. Like, f- for example, I was obsessed with watching Donald Trump, like for the en- entire duration of his candidacy and presidency, because he scared the fucking shit out of me. And one of the rallies I watched, there were some Trump supporters being interviewed by RSBN, Right Side Broadcasting News, which is a far right, you know, unedited interviews of Trump supporters. And this one guy was like, "Yeah, like I just think we should stay out of all the wars." I read Noam Chomsky's. Uh, manufacturing consent, and I realized the globalists control everything, the will the people isn't listened to, and this is uh, what's happening now. So, like, there is this agreement on the far right and the far left about Chomsky, and, you know, Chomsky himself has associated with Holocaust deniers, He's engaged in Bosnian genocide denial, and whenever you point to someone and say, look, RT is literally a military intelligence arm of the Russian government, It is a military operation. That's what it is. They lie about chemical weapons attacks. They, uh, you know, extract forced concessions from survivors of atrocity. And they host Richard Spencer to talk about race relations. And if you post a picture of Richard Spencer on RT, uh, like a dozen, you know, left-wingers will post a picture of Richard Spencer on CNN and make a false equivalence and say, look, CNN had, had him on. How's that any different from RT doing it? Well, of course it's different because the people at CNN don't know what the fuck they're doing when it comes to this topic. And they're, they think that they're opening up to right-wing voices or something. With RT, they're literally – their goal is to promote fascism internationally. It's a huge difference between the two, but the left yeah. has just flattened the uh, – differentiate. Yeah,
0: no, conspiracies exist, right? But the 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 appeal the um, the um I guess like spiritual emotional appeal of conspiracy theory to people is that they it makes them feel like they have a better understanding of the world, right? And so Absolutely. in the case of something that's complicated like a like a free press, Obviously, the most likely explanation is the true explanation, which is that we have a free press, we have thousands of different um, big media companies out there, and then tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands at this point of small media companies, especially with the internet now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, All competing for attention. Um, Some of them are more um, responsible in their journalism than others. um, And a lot of them are idiots. That's the real explanation for why there's a lot of lies and stupidity in the US media, right? It's not because of some conspiracy. Whereas in the case of RT, it literally literally is top-down
1: conspiracy being yes. led by a brutal dictator exactly <laughs> <It's>, it, it, <laughs> the difference could not be more stark you know right or, or the
0: or, or or you know in, in china um the same thing they, they 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 restrict which websites you can go to exactly and, and it's very funny to see the supposedly anti-imperialist far left they're ta- talking talking constantly about how the U.S. is supposedly a, a, an imperialist power. And, you know, it is or isn't to a certain extent. Right. But mm-hmm. like, you know, working with the U.N. Um, to secure the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and maintain, maintain a presence in countries that want us there in order to protect them from people who would do them ill. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah, you could call that imperialism, I guess. But, you know, like they're completely silent about china's imperialism which is yep. which is far 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 worse exactly and that's because and it's because the at the at the bottom it's anti-americanism and anti-capitalism that's what's driving it they they 100% they, is the imperialism in favor of of communism or capitalism that's all they care about mhm absolutely and china's not even really all that communist anymore they're like no, they're like authoritarian they're, capitalism at this point but they absolutely. Do, you know but it, 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 I, I've I've noticed um, lefties often um, and alt-right people too. We're talking about the same group of people here. The more the more we <laughs> talk about this, I, I I honestly can't tell them apart half the time. Um, but you know, like people who say DPRK instead of North Korea, right? right. Yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. I mean, you know, you can call yourself you can call yourself a republic in the case of China too. But it's it's not true. No, if you're not a you know an actual republic.
1: Exactly. And, you know, uh, China's committing genocide right now against a million Uyghurs, I think it is, and harvesting their organs. And instead of getting out of colonial power in the region forever, forever. And I, I think they're they're like in Africa now too, like doing some colonialism. I, I don't know much about China, but I, I think that's true. But anyway, um, what was I saying now? I, oh, yeah, so uh, they're committing genocide, and there's not a peep from from the, the left-wing people about this. Instead, we get something like Rashida Tlaib takes a sponsored trip to Palestine with Ilhan Omar, sponsored by MIFTA, a group... That published an article a few weeks before by Assad's media advisor, saying that Jews harvest uh, Ukrainian organs um, to sell on market, and that's the group that brought you know them to Palestine. So, so instead of caring about the actual organ harvesting happening in China, they're concocting conspiracy theories about Israel killing children in order to bolster this pro-Palestine cause and, yeah, and that's just, just a
0: return to the blood libel
1: you know exactly it's it, literally and and you know did you see uh with Jeremy Corbyn and, and
0: look at look at QAnon let's that's a, Q-Anon. that's all it's exactly. it's also it's
1: also the blood libel they, exactly. they've expanded
0: it beyond Jews now it's like you know Hillary Clinton too but yeah. you know they're they're eating babies I mean it's yeah. literally just they're bringing back their the old school like pre-World War Two Jewish exactly. blood libel conspiracy
1: and, and there there's more, you know, um uh comfort uh comfortability and toleration of the QAnon movement on the left than one might expect. It's pretty scary. Um but another example, is especially like,
0: accelerationists, you know, because like you oh, said, a lot yeah. of them voted for Trump and part of them did it because they agreed with his uh, isolationist and protectionist um, policies. But it was also because, you know, they 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 thought, oh, great, we'll just throw a bull in the China shop of democracy and hopefully he'll break the system because exactly. they, they, they think that somehow a utopian, you know, paradise will come out of the ashes of of of, um, you know, them intentionally destroying civilization.
1: Exactly. That's the whole problem with this idea of disruption. You know, I hate that term, disruption. It's like, yeah, we're going to break things for a while and just assume they'll ba- they'll bounce back to normal. It's like, that's not how liberal democracy works, and that's not how it has ever, ever worked.
0: Progress is hard and slow, you know, and, and I want to make sure – um, you know, one of my uh, long-term, long-time um, co-hosts, uh, Corey Cottrell, who c- identifies as a progressive, um, although he's not a socialist, and probably would agree with most of what we've said about the far left. Mm-hmm. Um but he still also worries he thinks that like I'm a little bit too defeatist he said. <laughs> so I want to make sure people understand no 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 no. Populism is the defeatist idea in a way if you think about it. It's the cynical idea that democracy doesn't work so you might as well blow it all up, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a defeatist. I'm I'm an optimist. It's just that I'm also a pragmatist. I recognize that progress is hard and slow and that it's easier to break things than it is to fix them. Um and that when it, you're just willy-nilly destroying the institutions that we've painstakingly built over generations is not a good idea. That's all I'm saying. You know, exactly. like, obviously, let's keep working together. Why do you think I'm backing Yang? Like, I believe in progress. I want to encourage mm-hmm. progress. I just, I just think that more often than not, people do harm um, thinking they're doing good.
1: I think so, too. And I think that's, that's a scary part of it, is, is they see themselves as the good guys a lot of the time.
0: Yes. I think it was Steven Weinberg said something It was, uh, you know, without religion, good people will do good things and bad people will do bad things. Right. But if you want bad or if you want good people to do bad things, that takes religion. Um, I think that's true about all dogmatic ideologies and, 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 you know, I, I fully acknowledge there are lots of self-identified religious people out there who are, who, who are not religious in that sense. I, I even call myself culturally Christian. Um, I, I love Christmas traditions and I, and, and, you know, Bach and all that. Right. But like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't have anything against, um, against religion per se, but the dogmatic closed-minded thinking, um, is the, the single best way to, um, to, to take good intentions and turn them into horrendous outcomes.
1: Totally. And I I think that's why I've sort of like, like you were saying, I I sort of brand myself as a pragmatist now. I I guess I'm a liberal, but like when it comes down to it, I'm just doing the things that I think will work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to, to do full circle on our conversation where we started out talking about how, you know, even though most political scientists would call um, Nazism right-wing, and in many ways we agree with that, we just think left-right is a little bit of an oversimplification, which, by the way, also most political scientists would agree with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, right? But, you know, like, um, e- even though that's the case, uh, Nazism was opposed to capitalism, and 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 they wanted to create a new kind of, like, uh, ethno-feudal thing, like a return mm-hmm. to feudalism, and that's where the whole oligarchy um, – part comes in and that that is a problem that is a problem right but oligarchy can also happen as a consequence of certain ways of going about the communist ideal as well um so yeah no i think i think anti-capitalism really does characterize the alt-right and the far left and i think that's part of the reason why you're seeing people like Mitt romney and liz cheney you know it's not just that they're turned off by the fact that donald trump intentionally incited a mob and and i think it's very telling it's very telling to see um people like tucker carlson they started out saying like, well, of course the insurrection was bad, but Trump, that's not Trump's fault. He didn't do that. Right. Or, right. or, oh, well, it was actually, it was actually Antifa pretending to be <laughs> Trump supporters. Right. Well, now they've moved on to like, actually the insurrection was a good thing. Yeah. Right? Like they're fully defending a terrorist attack on the Capitol. Yep. People calling for hanging the vice president of their own party, mm-hmm. which is, which is, I mean, it would be bad if it was the other party too, maybe worse, but it's just so many levels of crazy and killing cops. Yeah. Yeah. Like, with, when, with when did the Republican Party become pro cop killing? <laughs> <laughs> and it's because it's and, and you you see them defending it. Well, it's because you know look at the look at the people who were doing it. It's these poor, disaffected people from the the hills. Nope. You know? Well, a lot of nope. them are actually quite rich. Some
1: of them mm-hmm. flew private
0: planes to get there. Some of them are poor. Um, but that's not the point. It's no. terrorism.
1: for No, sake. exactly. It's fascism like that. The, like that is, I think, fascism right there. That insurrection was a failed putsch in my mind. And we now and, have
0: one of our parties is completely behind and pro that at this point. Yes, that's how you can tell if anybody tries to tell you that they're just trying to protect, you know, the integrity of our voting system. I believe that, you know, honestly, the left is a, a little bit too weak on that. Like in some cases, like, you know, I, I understand it's hard. It's hard to get an ID, but I don't think requiring someone to get an ID to vote is necessarily the worst idea in the world. Just make it easier for them to get a free ID then. Right. Something mm-hmm. like that. You know, right, but, right. like, but the, the point is, that's not really what their motives are in the GOP, no. Right. As proven by the fact that they literally tried to to overturn a free and fair election through violence. Mm-hmm. And now the entire party is defending that. As a good thing.
1: You know, and something I should I should point out, I feel like I'd be remiss in not mentioning this. If you take a look at which Republicans support Syria most vociferously, they're the ones who speak out against the insurrection most vocally. And that is an interesting uh, constant, I think.
0: I'm not sure I followed that. Could you, could you say that again? So,
1: so so like, uh, let's say Adam Kinzinger, right? He's in the House. I think he's on the Foreign Relations Committee. He is one of the most outspoken, um, you know, um, advocates of Syrian rights uh, in the Republican Party. And he is also one of the very few Republicans who will speak out against the insurrection. Yeah, and exactly. It's a true... test
0: Yeah, you're, you're completely right. Thank you for taking it full circle again. Right, exactly. Yes. The people who want us— you know, there's a reason that America first was a slogan used by Nazi sympathizers leading up to World War II, right? Exactly. Because it's an excuse to let the bad guys win because you're secretly on their side. Period. Mm-hmm. Period. Period. Yeah. So, the, yeah, exactly. That the, the people in the GOP who are like, hey, you know, dictatorships are bad and genocide is bad. Oh, and also, by the way, I don't want the US to turn into a dictatorship either. Right. Bingo. <laughs> those, exactly. are, those are the ones being thrown out of the party. They're being yes. kicked out. All of them will be gone in a couple of years. I, I I really hope that Trump gets a heart attack between now and then <laughs> because it's the only thing that could possibly I know that sounds bad, but I no, you're I've talking been hoping about for the state years. of We're talking about the seat of democracy at play here. I mean, Trump, honestly, I would spend zero time thinking about him because he's just a clown and a liar and a buffoon and a fake billionaire, right? Who cares, Mm -hmm. right? I'd spend zero time thinking about the guy. I think it's kind of gross that he's a con artist and screwed over contractors and stuff. That's really fucked Mm -hmm. up, right? But I would spend very little time thinking about him. He's not the problem. His deranged mob is the problem (laughs) because without them, he would just be a a
1: fat moron. Exactly. He wouldn't have any enablers without them.
0: And, and it is important to point out, via fascist creep, a good chunk of them are progressive leftists. Mm-hmm. So let's, um, let's wrap up by saying what we don't mean by this, right? Because I, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but tell me if you agree with this or not. I'm not saying that we should you know vilify the entire political left. I'm not saying that, um, that all progressives are bad people. In fact, you know, like I said at the outset of this, I have a model that sees progress and conservatives within the liberal spectrum. The problem, mm-hmm. what I'm saying is a lot of people who self-identify as progressives are anything but, um, and that whether you're on the left or the right of the spectrum, just make sure you're on the liberal top half of that circle. That's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that too.
0: All right, so um, maybe a little light at the end of the tunnel, Brett. What could we do as regular people listening to this podcast? What could we do to um, to help, you know, stabilize things and move the conversation in a more productive direction and bring about, you know, good change as opposed to bad change through our democratic process? Give, t- yeah. Talk us off a cliff with a little positivity yeah. here.
1: <laughs> sure. So uh, I think, I mean, I'm not the eternal optimist, but I do think that. Um, we need the Republican Party. We we need a party that is, you know, the opposite of the Democrats, but we just need them to be a different party. Like the Demo- the Republican Party as it exists right now, I don't think is sustainable. And I think it will lead to more authoritarianism. So I'd like to see more candidates who speak out against the insurrection and who have a, you know, decent head on their shoulders start to rise in the party. But it's not something I'm necessarily expecting anytime soon. And then in the meantime, I think what we can do is support those liberals in the Democratic Party in this sort of internecine debate between the far left sort of squad uh, milieu and then the sort of base of the party, which is a lot of them are just uh, black Democrats who have been with the party forever.
0: Yeah yeah well said i I, I think i am I think I'm in complete agreement. I've been trying to to convince I know lots of Republicans. I've been a Republican. um you know, California Republicans and New York Republicans for the most part. So mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I'm sure Trump <laughs> would consider that we're we, we are liberal, frankly uh-huh. we' we're, we're liberal Republicans totally. um, but you know, like I, I, would I've been there's talk about like starting a third party, for example, right? Oh, yeah, Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney should go start a third party. You know, and Justin Amash and, and whoever else. Right. Um, I think that's a, a bad idea. I think that third parties can't win um, because it's a first pass the vote, pa- first pass the post system. Even if a third party was to come in, it would just replace one of the existing parties, which would be fine. That would be a welcome thing if you could replace the GOP with a different party. But let's Definitely. be honest, you know, like economically conservative and foreign policy conservative, we might be, um, have outsized influence within the establishment of both parties, but we are a relatively small group of people um, within the overall electorate. So I don't think that you could create a third party based on that principle that would have any viability. I then I look at the fact that the Democratic establishment is actually pretty, you know, like I don't agree 100% with them, but I didn't agree 100% with the Republicans either. I think the Democratic establishment... Is kind of going along the right the right path. I I I don't like that they don't that they 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 don't stand up to the far left as much as I would like, right? But here's here's my, my um prescription. I think that Never Trump Republicans um, and uh, formerly Republican leaning independents should all temporarily become Democrats. And I say become Democrats because you've got to vote in Democratic primaries. In some places, you literally have to register as a Democrat. But at a minimum, you've got to commit to voting in Democratic primaries. Mm -hmm. And here's here's why I say this, because by doing that, we could simultaneously defeat the far left within the Democratic primary and help the Democrats to defeat the Republicans in the general. And the only thing that is going to cause the GOP to recenter on its traditionally conservative values and give up on this fascist bullshit is if it starts losing elections. That's what it'll take.
1: Totally. The only I way to make them lose, and
0: I, because I agree with you. I think we absolutely need to have, a, a, I want a real viable center right party in this country. Right. Me too. And, you know, so temporarily let's help move the Democrats, move, move them a little bit to the right. Um, or, or at a bare minimum, at least keep them from moving any further left um, mm-hmm. and defeat the GOP. Which is frankly, you know, this weird kind of pseudo lefty working class labor anti-capitalist thing anyway. So, you know, so uh, yeah. And and then and then the GOP will have to change, you know, and I I think the GOP would would need to um, moderate on social issues in order to start, you know, getting the votes of economic conservatives on the coast or something. Right. Um, because they can't be the party of capitalism if they're dependent electorally upon, you know, labor movement and deindustrializing
1: flyover states. Right. Totally. I absolutely agree with that.
0: All right, right. I want to give you the last word before I think a patron. So is there anything you want to say? You want to tell our listeners?
1: Uh, Andrew Yang is our gumbo. And uh, <laughs> I yeah. thank you for having me on this podcast. I thought it was a great talk. And uh, maybe we can talk again uh, sometime soon.
0: That's that's uh, that's great. Andrew Egg is our gumbo. He, he, he's our taco. Moving forward is our gumbo. Andrew Egg is our gumbo. It's all gumbo. It's all taco. It's all yummy. <laughs> Um, Yeah. So I'd like to thank uh, Mary Lewis, who has been on the podcast um, and she's a nurse and she's given us like 220 bucks so far, it looks like. So thanks a lot, Mary. That's awesome. You make it possible for us to keep these conversations going. People like you do. Um, and I'd like to remind everybody, if you become a patron of the podcast, it just cost a dollar a month or more. You can, you can, um, give us more if you want. Most people do, but a dollar is great. Every little bit helps. And then you'll have access to moving forward plus, which, uh, every other episode of the podcast at this point is for patrons only. Um, so go sign up there, send us some money. I don't run any ads and I don't pay myself anything. I just use the money to keep this going and grow the audience through, um, advertising the podcast in other places. So there's that. All right, Brett. Thank you for coming on, man. That was a great conversation. I'm glad that we gave a little light at the end of the tunnel because it was pretty dark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you uh, reaching out.
0: And I think it's important to, you know, we, we shouldn't gaslight ourselves. I think it's important to sometimes, you know, take the time to think about how bad things are and how bad things could be. Because um, taking the, the, the progress that we've already made for granted is part of the problem.
1: So. Yeah, nihilism helps no one.
0: Yeah, indeed. All right, thanks, Brett. Moving forward, thank you. Our, yeah, take care, man. Is our gumbo. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Together. Through these conversations, we are all working to ensure that the Humanity First movement keeps moving forward. If you haven't yet, please visit our website at movingforwardpod.com, where you can support our Patreon. We will use those funds to advertise, to grow our audience so more people hear these important conversations. Thank you very much.